I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. This is the second episode in a five-part guest lecture series, speaking with type professionals from all over the world. We just finished up our trip to Athens, Greece, and we're now headed back across the Atlantic Ocean, home to Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Let's go. Christopher Rouleau is an independent graphic designer and lettering artist in Toronto. Along with his full-time freelance work, he is also a public speaker, lettering instructor, and published author. And his work's been featured in Spacing Magazine, Uppercase Magazine, and Flair Magazine. He attended the Alberta College of Art and Design and holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Calgary. He recently received a Communication Arts Award of Excellence in Typography. He's also an instructor for the online tutorial website, Domestica. In this episode, you'll hear Chris discuss his professional lettering journey, hear more about his large-scale type mural projects, including some practical tips for creating large-scale type murals, the magic behind Chris's Alphabet 100 practice and tips for drawing cohesive alphabets. You'll also hear about the contents of Chris's pencil case and how he uses each tool, as well as his ideas for delightful new alphabets that could possibly be made in the future. You can find the visuals and links discussed in this episode in the show notes at talkpaperscissors.info. This episode was recorded as part of a guest lecture series in GCM 806 Advanced Typography in winter 2024 at the Creative School at Toronto Metropolitan University. All right, let's listen in. Welcome, welcome. Hello, hello. We are back with guest number two, who is one of my faves, Chris Rulo. Hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, to those who celebrate. Those and who to, celebrate. Those who, to those who don't, we shall just call this Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So the way that today will work is we'll just have a chat. We'll have a conversation. I have a few questions in mind or things I want to pick your brain about. And then there will be time at the end also for kind of student questions, open up the floor, to anyone who wants to ask a question. Great. Deal. Let's jump in. Okay. You're in the hot seat. How would you describe yourself in three words? Go. Oh, three words. Uh, um, <laughs> obsessive, um, creative, um, insomniac. Okay. That means no sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Got it. Got you but, look rested. Oh, thanks so much. It's the light in here. Uh, <laughs> but all of those things sort of feed together. The fact that I'm constantly thinking means that I'm basically sleeping. When I'm not sleeping, I'm thinking. That's fair. I, I can relate totally. Yes. <laughs> but we want to know what has your professional, speaking of kind of thinking and design and type, like what has your uh, professional journey been with typography and lettering? <clears throat> Good question. Um, I guess it all started um, when I left my hometown in small town Saskatchewan to go to the Alberta College of Art and Design in Calgary. I thought I was going to go into the graphic design program there. And after one year and two weeks, um, I decided that program just wasn't a good fit. So I took a year off, did some soul searching and ended up enrolling at the University of Calgary to do a Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater design, actually, um, set in costume design. Um, so everything was kind of bouncing around in my brain. I knew that I needed to do something creative. Uh, I just didn't know what it was. And after finishing my Bachelor of Fine Arts, um, I was simultaneously doing an internship in theater and also I had gotten a job in stock photography, doing photography and font reviewing. And so in the tornado that was in my mind, I was trying to do theater stuff, but also kind of falling for photography, fonts, design. I was doing freelance graphic design for like independent theater companies in Calgary. And I didn't love the hustle of set and costume design as a profession. It's very late nights. It's, um, it's really difficult in terms of like making a living because you're constantly hustling, finding the next job while trying to balance several other jobs. And theater, especially smaller theater companies, notoriously don't have a lot of budget. So you're just really coasting off of tiny paychecks. And you're honestly a miracle worker. You're trying to like make something out of nothing. You're building sets out of cardboard and you're making costumes out of rags. Like it's very, very challenging. And I just, I realized that I just, it was not my fit, but what I did get out of the university degree was lots of scenic painting and, and working with typography at larger sizes on like backdrops and things like that. Also just working with a vast range of different mediums, media. So um, while the internship steered me away from theater design, this um, job in stock photography and fonts really opened my mind to the world that was blossoming of fonts in like the early 2010s. That was sort of the era that Alejandro Paul was really jumping on the scene. Jessica Hish was doing lots of custom lettering and starting to do some of her own custom fonts. And um, the fire was kind of reignited, even though I didn't do a, des uh, a degree in graphic design, I started doing it more actively. Um, and then now we're what, 13 years later, I started freelance graphic design in 2011. And while there's been like bumps and challenges along the way, um, still here, still happy. Um, yeah, life's good. Excellent. Thank you for taking us down that kind of winding path. And yeah, it's fascinating that that's kind of where you not where you started, but kind of where where the journey took you. And then it it all circled back. And there are pieces of that that you use a lot in your work. 100%. Yeah. It all circles back. It all gets recycled. It's just like a cluster. It's like a collage of ideas and, and techniques and mediums that all come together. 
Now, students in this class are working on large-scale type murals. I don't know if I actually told you that, and I don't know if I made the connection to your work and to the stuff we're doing in class until this second. <laughs> but, but tell us about some of the kind of large-scale type projects that you've worked on. Any? Do any come to mind? Um, I've had the chance to do a couple of murals, three murals. All of them were typographic in their own way. Um, all three of them, I guess the common thread, all three of them were big enough that I opted to use a projector to transfer my own custom lettering onto like a surface. One was out, two were outdoors, one was indoors. Um, the one I did for a retail uh, restaurant type chain thing um, was gigantic. Like, I don't even know, 20 feet by 12 feet or something ridiculous. And um, it it's... It's just uh, like you you might be totally happy with your design and it works like in concept in a layout, but like to actual execute it at that size, I was definitely going into like my scenic design, like projecting something, not just like arbitrarily onto the wall, like it needed to be registered accurate. Like, yeah, if you go into their murals and chalk, it would be the one that's the, oh, uh, the chocolate one. That was the one that's like gigantic. And like, even though it has this like, just quick and dirty. It looks like I just took a broom and just started slashing paint on the wall. Like I needed it. I needed there to be like some accuracy. So I think that was projected in nine parts and each of the nine tiles needed to be quite exact, like within like half an inch or whatever. That's wild. I love, 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 love. Even the the color you chose, it's kind of like, what would you even call this color? Like a copper? Yeah, it was... um like a copper or bronze metallic. Mm. Yeah. It is delicious. Delicious. It. Well, it was a, Del chocolate, a chocolate company, so it needed to be tasty. Tasty. And then even if I go back here to some of your other mural work, uh, so students are doing chalk type chalk murals. Um, I'm probably jumping the gun a bit in terms of, of sequence of question, <laughs> questions to ask you, but I have to, because I think this is a great, a great opportunity what is your best advice for students who are start or who are really planning and wanting to move forward with creating a chalk mural mm -hmm. um all of these literally all of these started as some kind of sketch on paper um like maybe it was just a kernel of an idea. Maybe I actually had the dimensions to work with. So like sometimes whipping out some grid paper or whatever, just um, using a ruler and drawing out the exact rectangular size of your of your board is very, very useful just to get a sense of like proportions, hierarchies. And then in like the second incarnation of the sketch, you start working with like margins and like just cleaning everything up so that everything has a good flow. But like a good checklist is like making sure, yeah, all your margins are nice and clean, that there's enough breathing room that it doesn't feel too cluttered. And like, with any good design, just thinking about hierarchies, like what is the most important information and then what is like maybe secondary or tertiary information. And then like a general tip for chalk art is like people want to use like every color in the in the in the chalk box, but like sometimes less is more like sometimes having a primary color and then like one or maybe two secondary colors. It's like typeface use. You don't want to use all the fonts all at once. You kind of want to like group things together in a logical way. That's all really great advice. And I think 
I, <laughs> the the um, client, the on-campus client that we're working with to make these chalk murals happen in a space gave us, sent me a picture of the chalk box of like brand new, untouched, beautiful chalk. There's 20 colors. And I think that would have been my first inclination too, is to just use all the colors. So I like the idea that less is more. With this. I think it's like restraint. Restraint can actually be your friend. Like limitations can be your friend. Even if it's just to prove that it's not enough, then you'll know. But if you have a box of like whatever, 20 or 30 colors, you can probably pick, you can probably do some nice color planning where you have like adjacent colors. Like you could do like a pink to red to orange to yellow or something. Like you're working with, it's not just like everything. You're kind of, it, there's more logic to it. Yeah, great tips. Okay, love that. Um, we'll probably analogous, have- It's called analogous colors. That sounds right. Yeah, like- Yeah, yeah. A little, a little gradient, gradation action. Yeah. Okay, now we love skipping back, <laughs> coming back, pulling away from the chalk mural stuff, and I'm sure students will have questions for you at the end. But pulling away from that for a second, we, in our class, love, love, love your Alphabet 100, and it's become something that we do kind of as the core or as the the class begins every week it's the the warm-up activity it's something we sit and focus and try and draw as many letters in different styles as we can so what was the genesis for you of this project where did it start and where did it end up for you it started in art school um one of my design teachers had a similar project but it was more related to like logo design and her whole rationale was that like there are infinite ideas and if you just commit to doing it you can always push yourself a little harder than you think so like with if you think of just doing like a logo design you could like sketch out probably right now if i said design a logo for like i don't know anything you could probably whip out two or three or four just quick little doodles would be great but if you take the time you can probably do 20 ideas you could do 50 ideas like it's all it's like it's the only the only limitation is really like time usually and i found this exercise was especially good for type design alphabet design because alphabets are pretty self-contained like there's really only so many strokes to each letter form so even though it was challenging to make a hundred variations of one letter it's not like going to take like weeks and weeks like I could do one of those in like a sitting and even if I could only get like most of it I would just sit down the next morning and then just flesh it out and then with with some alphabets as uh, some letters some are just more challenging than others so once you hit like a roadblock that's when you can kind of start flipping through books and be like oh yeah I didn't even think of that style from like whatever era um and I think it's just a good design practice. Like even if you're just doing any kind of design, little quick thumbnails are like the blossom of something bigger. Like just getting an idea on paper with a pencil, just like a little quick little, it's just basically like a little throwing your brain signal on the paper as like a reminder of the idea. These are just sketches. Like we're literally talking just like a quick 10, 10 second doodle. And that's the like, ignition for a bigger idea 
Yes, yes, yes. And I love the fact that letters are so accessible too. I am one who I love working with color. I, as you can probably tell, I love, <laughs> I love working with shape and with line, but I am not an illustrator. Like I cannot draw to save my life. Stick figures abound. Like it is, that's my go-to. But with letter forms, they're, they're accessible. I draw an F. I can draw a G. I can think about the letter forms in new and interesting ways, but they're essentially the stick figures of illustration. Of language, yeah. 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 And so pushing yourself to think beyond just a, a, a stick, a typical way in which you could draw any given character or three or four or even 10 ways, but push yourself to do 100, I think is a brilliant exercise for, for your mind. Totally. Yeah, well, I've, I've been saying it in terms of like A to Z, but really you could apply to any numeral, any punctuation, any glyph, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other piece of that for me anyway has to do with it's not necessarily even the letters that result from having gone through and and creating a hundred things on the page. And this is going to sound really cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's the person I become while doing <laughs> all 100, right? It's the, it's the thought process. It's the, the meandering one way or another that, as you said, gives way to bigger ideas or opens up the channels to go, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Right. Um, and so I think that in and of itself, it, like it's a, a really great exercise to be able to come up with tangible ideas, but beyond that, it's, it's just a good warm up. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like, yeah, it's like a, before you do the big workout, this is like the warm up. Agreed. Yay. Okay. Yay. Yay. Alphabet 100. Now, um, the next question I want to ask you is around how do you approach building a typeface or a specific style of lettering? I think I forgot it because I'm a bonehead sometimes and I forget things, but you have a book and I'll pull it up here online. And uh, that book is all about creating these kind of custom letter forms or groups of letter forms. So what are some of the considerations to help a collection of letters feel cohesive and not like very distant cousins, if mm -hmm. that makes sense? I think that is just a matter of like, I don't really have like a set of rules that I follow, but like with any typeface design, it's just following best practices of like, if you build out your core letters and then expand from that, like logic takes over and then everything has a rational flow and connection. So like rounded characters all should be like relatively the same rounded shape or oval shape or whatever. Um, even just in terms of proportions, like if you're going to build a very tall, long letter, that should be taken into account throughout the full alphabet. Um, for the alphabet or ABC 250 book, that was just 250 alphabets that I did one. I think I did it one every weekday for a year. And that was honestly just like the ABC 100 project, except I did it with like a full alphabet. So it took more time, but I didn't worry too much like about making each one perfect. It was more like capturing the idea down. And I can look back at these 250 alphabets 
And I could look at some of them and be like, those weren't as successful. But there's a few in there that was like, oh, yeah, like this works really well as a cohesive set of of letters that if I did want to, I could turn into vectors. I could theoretically throw into like a font software and export an open type font that I could type with. But for for the most part, they were quite decorative and worked better as like head, um, not headline fonts, but like feature fonts, like for headlines, these are definitely not meant for reading large chunks of text. Now you mentioned the, the key letters. So you get your kind of core letters or your, your, the few letters down that you start with, and then it starts to build out the set of rules. What are the letters that you start with? For me, there's, I, there's like many typeface design books you could reference, but like you definitely would have like a round character that would be the base for like O and Q and C and even like the belly of the D or the bowl of the D, G, all of those similar characters. And then I would want some kind of like triangular letter form for like A, V and W, which would even apply to like K and R, the tail of an R. Um, and then I think people will use H and F to establish your horizontals and your verticals as, as well as your overall proportion of like width and height. Um, and then if you are going to work, I guess, with like a lowercase or anything like that, you'll have to establish what your X height is going to be. And that can be, there's quite a huge range when it comes to that, but that's going to affect where all your crossbars are going to go. And then usually the wild card, one of the wild card, wild card letters is always S because it's so unique to the set. And that's where I find like you can have a lot of variation because even if you have, imagine something that's very like 30s deco geometric that's quite rounded and full, you could have very, very narrow, subtle S's that are like high contrast to the really round shapes or vice versa. Yeah, it's there are these little kind of cliques in an alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> they're all they're all in the same group, but they're they they kind of go off in these uh, in these different group shapes. So yeah, yeah. thank you for for sharing that. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Here's my next question. So our our class our class has the great benefit of meeting you in person in about a month or so, not even less than that. And we're going to have a hand lettering workshop, which I'm really, really excited for students to be able to practice and use a really analog tool because we're so used to working on computers all day, every day. Uh, my screen time usage now sits in the corner of my screen and sometimes it is alarmingly high and then it doesn't even take into account my phone, which has its own anyway. Moving along <laughs> with my question. Honestly, my screen time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. So my question is, what are your favorite analog tools to use when you are thinking about lettering or even like, I don't know, just general creative practice? What are some of your go-to tools? If I had my pencil case here, I would be pulling out like, a couple of my favorite pencils because I have like a nice 2H pencil that is like great for like guidelines and like light, loose sketching, like like composition stuff. And then I have a denser, I think it's like 2B. It's got a bigger lead 
that allows me to like go in and work more like fully with fleshing things out. Um, and then outside of like pencil, um, I usually carry two or three different kind of brush pen marker situations. Um, I can bring them to class, but usually I've got like a Faber-Castell that's quite small and then a Tombow Duel that's a bit heavier. And then I have a couple of pens that are a bit more expressive-y and weird, like a bit more bristly and expressive. I carry a Sharpie because sometimes I just want blunt, silly, fat edges. Um, I have a very fine pilot pen that's really great for clean, sharp stuff. And then not in my pencil case, but I'll I'll have separately like a just good quill. I think it's a Statler quill with a nice bristle and some ink that's great for like working a little bit bigger. And I have some decent like stock that will take the ink a lot better and it won't like wrinkle and warp. I can bring those to class. Um, yeah, I would say those are my like go-to things. Pencil, brush pens, and ink, ink, brush and ink. Your pencil case sounds like the most exciting, bougie party I want to be at. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everyone will get a brush pen. You get a brush pen and you get a brush pen and you get a brush pen in class. So it'll be lots of fun for us to be able to to try and work and excuse me, see what we can make happen. And they'll be the colorful ones, yeah. 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 We're that our our budget is <laughs> this oh, they're big. Great. They're great. So we, okay, good, good. Excellent. Wonderful. Um now I have a, a question that kind of maybe combines the last two questions, but you have made a whole lot of alphabets. In fact, 250 that you that you uh, made into a book, uh, and you like to use analog tools and and create these kind of new alphabets. What is your most outrageous idea for an alphabet that you'd like to bring to life? Whether actually doing it or maybe just something kind of fun and frivolous in your in your head. Ah, yeah, yeah. I haven't actually completed anything that outrageous. I remember doing a food alphabet where I tried to use like actual food and that sort of worked, but not really. But then I could just eat it. So it was fine. So it wasn't like a total waste. I sort of love the people who can somehow like find like unconventional alphabet forms out in like nature or out in the city where it's like very, very like just random it's not even like a sign it's just like cracks in a sidewalk that make like a letter k or like whatever bricks like just like found alphabets i'd love to try to like that'd be a good project if you were traveling around europe or something you could just keep your eyes open for any letters take all the pictures make an app make a little album in your phone and then try to build out a full alphabet that would be fun so fun. And that, that pairs beautifully with our previous guest, who's a digital nomad who travels all over the world. <laughs> so I feel like there's a, a, a thread here. Yeah. And the other uh, thing I was thinking of just as you were speaking there, and now it's completely left my mind, of course. Not food, not travel. It, um, it was good. It'll come back to me. It's fine. But yeah, making alphabets out of found space or found objects i think is uh is a is an exciting oh that's what i was gonna say sorry <laughs> do you have you ever seen the 
they call it pirate printing. And basically there is, you know, like the manhole covers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you ink it up and then you you yeah. pull prints. How yeah. fun would it be to travel around Europe or even travel around Toronto and find different kind of misfit letters that you yeah. could actually print and build yeah. an alphabet from that? Yeah, or if you could somehow do it in like a graveyard without disrupting the actual graves. Yes, and you could rubbings. Really... Rubbings, yeah, you can do rubbings. Yeah, love, love that. Oh, okay. That's a project for you and I. We're going to go yeah. stock let's the graveyard. To, and you're like, what? what's that? Let's go to New York. Yeah. Okay. Deal. Sold. You and I. Okay. Any questions? I'm going to open it up because I'm starting to blather and no one wants to hear that. So are there any questions that anyone has for Chris Rouleau? It could be related to his work. It could be related to alphabets, to chalk murals, all the things. I did think uh, of another fun, like fun, like found typography situation, sort of like Google aerials, like where you find letters within like fields and like river forms and stuff like that. I like that too. And so you're saying like use a digital tool like Google Maps or, or Google find someone with Street. a helicopter. <laughs> or a drone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drone would work. Yeah, that's very cool. There's all sorts of neat possibilities. Okay. Um, any questions from anyone in the room? And feel free to raise your digital hand and we can uh, call on you and you can ask a question or feel free to type it in the chat. Either one, completely fine. Who has a question for Chris Rouleau? I'll give it a second. So with the chalkboard project you're doing, it's one giant chalkboard and everybody's collaborating or what? So this may be a bit ambitious, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. We have basically uh, 22 different spaces, 22 large walls in and around uh, the largest building on campus, which is the Student Learning Center. And these walls are in the stairwells. So it's concrete that we're and there's some of the walls already have chalk murals on them others don't uh, but we are essentially students are working in groups of four or five students three to five students and they're planning and uh, working with the slc's management team as the client to pitch their ideas to then execute over two days of of drawing chalk on walls yeah it's an exciting project cool that's fun did you see that crazy thing that went around a, a couple of weeks ago with that condo development in LA where I can send it to you, but someone might've seen it on Instagram. It's like, it was like an abandoned condo development that I guess they just ran out of money, but these towers exist and they're just big, giant, mostly glass condos and a bunch of graffiti artists broke in one night and graffitied every single patio like the glass wall on a patio and it's like every single unique it's like very very cool oh my gosh okay hold on i'm gonna pull this up because it, that's just, too just cool not, not to show what I do can, i even google i'll just send it i'll dm it to you on instagram okay but yeah very very inspiring and also like i love that they got away with it so what's happening now are they is there any well, sort of some people were like really 
mad and they want to like clean it all off. But many of the art people are like, this is like way better use than it's just sitting there. Uh, yeah, it's true. Talk. That's me. There you are. Okay, let's have a look. Holy cannoli. This is cool. Let's have a look. This is another one. I have 8 million tabs open. No one judge me, please. Okay, we'll do this. <laughs> yeah, the second one might be better. Okay. Wild. Super cool. That's incredible. Yeah, it's very, 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 very cool. Huh. Just the coordination to actually make that make that happen. Wow. What? That's so good. It's so good. And they did this in one kind of one night type of thing or I think so because it, it like they probably didn't want to get arrested. That's fair. That's yeah, so love, cool. Love. Huh. So just wait till you do those stairwells. <laughs> it's gonna look just like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, I think there's there's all sorts of really um neat possibilities that will that will kind of come of of this project. I'm I'm really excited to see how it all shakes out. Oh, there we go. We have a question. Great. The question is maybe a bit weird to ask, but in terms of murals, how do you usually decide where to begin designing? Also, don't uh, we don't have a projector? Then how do we make sure everything is centered and aligned? Great question. That is good. Yes. Um, where do I begin designing? Like often there's like some kind of brief or parameters or some kind of constraints that is like, it has to fit in this size and we only have this color paint or this is our brand palette or whatever. Um, sometimes there's like, yeah, like branding guidelines or like icons or like vibe that they want to capture. But usually in my case, it's been like, do, do your thing for us with your style. So yeah, the start can vary, but like, it's usually like, like I said, like pencil and paper with the parameters that are given or no parameters. And then the, the question about registration on the wall is really good because yeah, not everybody has a projector. Um, the second option I would suggest, depending on the size you're working at, but the other popular way of getting a large size thing on a wall is the pounce technique where basically you use large sheets of paper with either a printout of your design or you draw your design really large sized at the correct scale you perforate it you can get one of those rolling perforators you think of for like sewing it's like a little metal little metal wheel with little teeth and the teeth puncture the paper in perfect even little dots enough that it like creates holes but it doesn't cut it you tape that to the wall and then using either a dark or a light powder, either charcoal or like chalk powder, you can do a dusting. And it's usually enough that it creates all your basic forms. And that's enough so that everything is registered correctly. And then you can do smaller details um, by hand. Or you could do smaller transfers too. Smart. 
Yeah, we'll have to think about this because this is really and truly, and I've told students this as well, this is all one big experiment because I've never done large scale <laughs> type chalk murals either. So we're just kind of learning all together as we go, but that's that's really interesting advice. And I think that, yes, I will make butcher paper available. I'm making a note. Yeah, and I was gonna say too, um, the, like it is like, the person suggested it's like tracing and if you really like if you're really limited and you can't do the perforating thing like you can honestly use you can get sheets of that you know like carbon paper you would use for like duplicating whatever you can get sheets of carbon paper and they can be like letter size and bigger i think at i think i bought them at above ground and you can get like 18 by 24 so you could do like a carbon paper transfer where you have your design your carbon paper and then you do a trace and it should Put the design on the wall um for i don't know what what the resources are like at tmu but um a lot of my mural stuff i'll get printed i'll get the designs printed on i think it's 20 pound bond paper at just a grayscale. it's very inexpensive i can do like four feet wide huge sheets for just like dollars like it's very very cheap and then i don't feel bad that i'm basically just using it once and then recycling it. But like for the, to get that accuracy is so, so it's worth every penny. And the bond paper is good because it's really, it's thin. So like, you know how some paper, the thicker it gets, the less you can like pressure through. Bond paper is really thin. I don't, I'm not sure there's different butcher papers. Some of it's a bit thick because of that wax layer. Um, you can get really thin craft paper. I've seen it at like the dollar store that's pretty good the thinner the better honestly even like if you could get a really neutral um wrapping paper that's just like because it's so thin like thin is good yeah that's good tip too wrapping paper will scour the thrift stores for <laughs> for dollar wrapping paper for new rolls um the other the other thing i was going to ask you was uh, do you ever set up almost like a grid? So if you imagine like a chalk line and then you and let the chalk line go. So you're creating a bit of a grid for yourself to kind of understand where you're placing things. Does that ever, have you ever done that? I haven't done it like actually, but like the concept is very useful for certain types of projects. The, the only consideration is like, if you get those lines on the wall, you have to like think about how you might want to take them off at the end. And sometimes the surfaces I'm working on, it just doesn't really work for that. But if you're doing something that's like a bit rough, like like a stairwell and it's like chalk, I think that could totally work. I don't even dislike a grid. Like it can sort of be part of the design. And then it just becomes a very easy, yeah, like draw this square, but at a bigger size. Um, the good thing with chalk, I don't know exactly what these chalk, the chalk, tools you're using what size they are but like you can do sketching with chalk like you can do really light letters so that like you can get all your forms in first and then go in and like thicken things up i wouldn't worry too much about getting everything perfectly perfect inch by inch like get get your large forms and get the overall spacing right and then start going in yeah that makes sense as well these are great tips and ones that i have not yet considered and <laughs> I need to be considering. So thank you. Thank you for getting my mind going on this. Um, Chris, it's been great. Thank you for chatting today. 
And uh, where can folks find you online if they want to know more about you before we meet you in person in about a month? Yes. Um, I have a website, uh, ChristopherRulo.com, that links to all my social media and shop stuff. And then Instagram, Chris underscore Rulo. I think those are the main ones. Um, and then if you, yeah, if you feel the need to, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can send me a DM or email me too. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris. And thank you everyone for, yeah, for being here in this virtual space today. We've got another guest in about five minutes who we're going to be chatting with from Nigeria, and he's going to give us his Nigerian type perspective. And I'm, thr oh, and there's a dog. There's a dog. Oh, good boy. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So I'm going to reset here. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chris. And uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Thanks.